It is the 21st century. There are officially too many video games. But out there in the universe, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Welcome to the best video game you've never played, the podcast where I, improv and stand-up comedian Lewis Dunn, invite guests onto the show to see if they can suggest to me the best video game I've never played. I then spend some time playing it, come back and have a chat with them, and we determine whether or not it is the best game that you've never played. Now, those of you listening who have pressed the play button on this episode have hopefully already seen the title of this podcast. Yes, somehow... The Witcher 3 has ended up as the subject of a podcast that is supposed to be about finding obscure video games that you've never heard of. Now, here's the thing. I've never played The Witcher 3 until this podcast came about. So even though this technically contradicts the entire point of the podcast, I had to say yes, because that was the format I agreed to with the guest who suggested this game. Who is that guest? Why, he's Sam Went, who is a writer and performer uh, and the host of the Infinite Deer podcast, a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, which is a sort of quirky, fun sense of humour that follows a group of adventurers as they try to, let's be honest, wind Sam up with as many infuriating get-at clauses and rule breaks as they possibly can. So, a little bit of a content warning before we go in. The Witcher 3 is quite a dark and a massive inverted commas mature video game. Uh, That means that this podcast has some subjects that some viewers might find a bit distressing. I'll have put some timestamps in the description so you can skip ahead past the parts that might cause some distress, but this podcast does contain discussions of abortion, miscarriage, sexism, sexuality, and discrimination. If you find those issues a bit icky, there are ways to skip through the podcast so you don't have to listen to them. However, they do form a value judgment as part of the game, so we did include them, as I thought it was important to address certain issues surrounding this video game. That said, let's play the jingle as I talk to Sam about The Witcher 3. Hello, Sam. How are you? I am great, Lewis. I've got my two swords on my back. I'm on my trusty steed, and my banana tiger is sleeping soundly by my feet. I can only assume, Sam, that's because you're here to discuss the game that you have brought along. I mean, let's be honest. There's no illusions. People will have hopefully read the title already of the of the podcast episode. I've already hinted at it in previous episodes as to what it is, and I, I even said in the very first episode of this podcast someone will inevitably make me play this game. So, Sam, I am, why don't I am you just everybody? disappointed that you have not introduced me as the person you like less than Charles Dean. No, you're the person who's more persistent than Charles Dean. Because let's make something very clear, Sam. I pushed back quite hard against this selection, and your counter-choice was Crusader Kings 2. So you called my bluff. I, 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 take, I take this as a victory. Yes, you've won the dubious honour of spending the next few hours discussing this game, because it will be a few hours, listener. I know that previous episodes have barely scraped over one hour, but this is is going to be a long one. 
This is the gauntlet. I've done revision. <laughs> Sam, what have you brought along? I have brought on the best game you have never played, which is quite obviously Witcher 3 The Wild Hunt. Yeah. But Witcher 3 is an action-adventure RPG uh, set in the world based on the books by Andrzej Sapowski. And uh, for any Polish listeners, I apologise for my terrible pronunciation. I'll try to keep it to a minimum. Uh, this game is about Geralt of Rivia, a monster hunter for hire, who, after two games of amnesia, has rediscovered that, oh shit, I have a common-law wife and adopted daughter, I better go find them. <laughs> now, that's interesting straight away from the start there, Sam, because I find it I find it fascinating. I, I came into this game knowing very little about the witcher as a series i know my i should say my brother huge fan of the witcher series huge fan he played the witcher one and the witcher two more or less when they came out that makes him a bigger fan than me <laughs> he read the books i think he's read all the books he's a huge fan of the witcher series and so i i grew up around him while this was happening and the main the only thing i really knew about the witcher growing up was that the alchemy system was terrible because my brother was really angry at it throughout the whole of The Witcher 2. So when you say that the start of this game starts with a character regaining their memories after having amnesia in the previous two, it's almost the opposite experience for me as a player because I have no memory of what's going on. But this character is suddenly very knowledgeable, and I don't know a thing. I, I have to say that I had pretty much the exact same experience as you. I was not someone for whom this game was on the radar when it came out. I think it, I played it about two, two, three-ish years after it actually came out, at the insistence of a similarly persistent friend. And I, for my first playthrough... Uh, spent the game wandering around pretending that, as Geralt, I still had amnesia, but was now bluffing that I'd regained my memory. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there's there's worse ways to to role play in this game, as it were. But look, look, we've got ahead of ourselves again already. Sam, why why have you brought The Witcher Three? Why have you done this? I've I've made it clear on other podcasts. I don't want to play this video game. I've made it clear by not playing it for the five years it's existed. Why have you made me play The Witcher 3? Well, reason number one, Lewis, is probably that I convinced you to play Last of Us 2 eight months ago. Uh, but the other reasons are that I I absolutely adore this game. I adore not just it as an open world game. I adore the setting. I adore the characters. I've, as I think listeners are probably aware, and I'm sorry to tell you this if this is the first you're hearing about this, we have spent the last year or so in a plague, and... Yeah, we have, yeah. I have found Witcher 3 immensely comforting uh, in that time. <laughs> I've, I've realised that Witcher 3 is my de-stressing game, in that I can spend some time outside in a world I absolutely love, socialising with characters... I love in a sort of weird video game facsimile of being able to go outside and see your friends. I think it is one of the best video game stories and overall experiences that I've had. And so I think you are really missing out in playing it. Do I think that this is the the game with the purest mechanics in the world? No, I don't. But as someone who loves video games for their narrative, for their worlds, for their characters... 
as well as their mechanics. I think to not have experienced Witcher 3, to not have experienced that world, this story is, is something you are missing out from of your gaming lexicon. This is one of the gems the, the medium has to offer. It's not just the be- one of the best games you've never played. I think it's one of the best games ever. So you should have played it, and you have failed not doing so thus far. Well, look, here's the thing. You're not alone in that thought, okay? I found out that until this year, The Witcher 3 had won the most Game of the Year awards of any video game. And it was only beaten in this year by The Last of Us Part 2. Both broadly loved video games in years where the competition was stiff. Like, this is the thing. I know that, obviously, this is the thing. Game of the Year awards are kind of interesting because they are only a measure of that year. Arguably, you know, if a good, if a really good video game comes out in a year where not much else lands, then, of course, you're going to win the most Game of the Year awards. But this was, this was the year of Metal Gear Solid V, of Batman Arkham Knight. Those two video games I do love. They've both got their flaws, but I both love those video games. So I'm going to level with you. I spent a lot of this game, a lot of the time playing this game, mentally comparing them. Not because they're not because that's fair, not because they're the same type of game at all, but because I'm like, this was the industry standard when this game came out. This is the level to which The Witcher 3 should be held, because it beat those games to Game of the Year. Yes, because The Witcher 3 doesn't have the Batmobile in it. Look, the thing. I'm mentally comparing them on some levels. We're not going to discuss. We're not going to discuss specific mechanics. We're not going to make this the Batmobile versus Roach. We're not going to make this, you know, the Riddler versus any number of question marks on a map. That's not. That's not what I'm. That's not where I'm going with this. I was going to say Roach would win that fight, but he definitely wouldn't. He definitely, Look, she wouldn't. definitely wouldn't. She definitely wouldn't. Also, that's a misunderstanding of the Batmobile. The Batmobile is a gadget. It is not a mode of transport. Here's the thing. The reason I've never played The Witcher Three is very simple. I hate high fantasy. I absolutely hate it. I don't like Lord of the Rings. I don't like any of the Final Fantasy games that are in that type of setting. I don't like Dragon Age. I hate I hate this setting. Without a shadow of a doubt, there's nothing about elves, dwarves, magic that appeals to me in any way. I barely tolerate Star Wars, and I'm mostly in it for the laser smugglers. And the other thing I don't like is complex video games. I don't like video games where they pile mechanic on top of mechanic on top of mechanic, and they expect you to almost almost they want you to treat it like it's a, a system you have to learn and it's on you to figure it out now here's the thing the witcher 3 is actually neither mm. of these things i completely agree i was i was so res- like resistant to playing the witcher 3 because i was expecting to boot up the game and for it to be like ah come weary traveler sit by the fire and we shall discuss how the elves of nyaknyok have cast a spell to turn the forest into a haunted realm and you must go with your special and it's just i was expecting it to be impenetrable nonsense you were expecting to play kingdoms of alamo basically yeah or or you know or a lord or a lord of the rings type experience and it's not that really oh yeah any any number of sort of cheap knockoff tolkien-esque fantasy games no it's not that it's not that it's it's actually fairly straightforward in terms of the plot and uh, the gameplay, actually, even more even more straightforward than I expected. Because it's largely just, uh, you've got a light attack, you've got a heavy attack, you've got some magic spells, you've got a dodge roll. 
It's not too dissimilar from something like Bloodborne, to be honest, although not quite as finely tuned, not quite as easy to play as Bloodborne or quite as fun to play as Bloodborne, but within the same realm, within the same sort of idea of mechanic. And once you figure out that the potions aren't that complicated, it's fine. It's all right. It's an okay system of combat. It, it, it is perfectly serviceable as a system of combat. And I, actually, I have heard it described as a sort of compromise between that sort of Soulsborne combat and the the Arkham games, actually. It's nothing like the Arkham... No, sorry. I'll, I'll immediately shoot you down there. It's nothing like the Arkham games. In <laughs> Arkham games, I can get 100 times combos. In The Witcher, I am basically casting the shield spell, mashing square until I'm hit, then dodge rolling away, casting the shield spell again, and going back in. Because there is no punishment. We dedicate this podcast to the Quen sign, which has saved both of our lives in the video game many times. Yes, yeah. And heavily disparage the Igni sign, which is the sign that is used exclusively for getting rid of explosive gas. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing, Sam. Here's what I didn't expect from The Witcher 3. Here is the, the nail on the head for me that describes okay. my Witcher experience. I hmm. didn't expect The Witcher 3 to be a telltale game okay i'm not entirely sure where you're going with that telltale game here's the thing sam okay when you start this game there's a bit of tutorializing there's a bit of world building you go and see some people i'm i I get it okay you're starting a video game with a big you know big world to establish big story to establish first few hours you're going to be in cutscenes. you're going to be talking to people you're not going to get much done you're going to have a tutorial style fight where not much happens fine fair enough First area of the game, Velen, No Man's Land. Second, that's White Orchard. It, that, that's what I meant by the tutorial area. That's, oh, okay, that's okay. not that's not the stuff. If I'm being fair to The Witcher Three, of course, the first couple hours of this game are a weird set of menus and tutorials because that's what video games are. It's a big, deep game. You need that. Mm. Get to Velen. Okay, what's the first thing I do? You need to go and talk to this guy called the Baron. Okay, I'm going to go and talk to him. He tells you about something else. He says you need to go and talk to someone else. Okay, I'm going to go and talk to them. While you're here, you need to talk to three other people. Okay, I'll go talk to those three other people. What do they want? Well, they want you to talk to five more people. Okay, so what I need to do in this video game is essentially go to a series of people and then press the yellow dialogue option and the game will proceed. Okay, how often do I have to do this? Sam... Two-thirds of this game is just talking to people. <laughs> I, I don't believe that for a second. That That's an exaggeration. It is not two-thirds of the game. Look, Velen, fun area of the game. You fight a lot of monsters. There's some cool little side quests. My favourite moment of the game is here, which is that I fought a monster called the Shrieker, which was a cockatrice, and it was great because I was just slightly too low a level and it made the fight quite fun and hard. But then... If, if the game if the game was like Velen, and it was like, you fight monsters, you do a bit of talking, you know, there's some interesting stuff in the plot. We'll get to the plot as a separate thing, because I kind of want to get to that on its own. Velen by itself, I would say, 8 out of 10 video game. I had a good time in Velen. It was all right. Slow bits, weird bits. A very, very poor taste plot point. But fine. Had quite an all right time. It's interesting, because most people would describe Velen as the worst area of the game. They're wrong. Because the worst area of the game is... Novigrad. That's the best area of the game. No, absolutely not. (laughs) Novigrad is a part where the whole game goes, you know those swords? Put them away. That's not what we're here to do, buddy. No, no, no. What you're going to be doing in Novigrad is running round like a Deliveroo driver. But the only thing you're delivering is the same question, which is... 
do you know where Siri is? That's it. That's the entire game when you get to Novigrad. It is the most boring section of any video game I have ever played that was this good. <laughs> Slightly callous way to talk about the search for your adopted daughter as a Deliveroo package. No, but that's the thing. I'm just, I'm so, I'm, so, uh, right. I really, I quite enjoyed, I quite enjoyed the gameplay of The Witcher. I quite enjoyed the sword fighting. I quite like the fact that you have potions and that you have the whole balance system of they raise your toxicity so you can only use so many at so many times. Then you've got the magic spells and you've got the sword combat. I even don't mind that the swords break, albeit one broke just before a boss fight and the only way I could beat it was to lower the difficulty. But what I hate, Sam, what I hate, is talking to someone and then being told to go and talk to someone and then being told to go and talk to someone and just following small yellow dots across a map that is a city that is a nightmare to navigate, just learning nothing. Okay. (laughs) Novigrad lasts about eight to ten hours. It is the length of other games I have played and beaten on this podcast. And if I was to review Novigrad, it is a four out of ten. Okay, I, I I would say that the, the combat of The Witcher 3 is not its the entirety of its gameplay mechanics. There's also the, the Witcher senses and the investigation aspects of it, which I oh. think play more in Overground. No, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the Witcher senses. Hold L2 and press X next to the red thing. What a great mechanic. Moving on. Okay, but I... I... I like the fact that we we do get to see some of Geralt's work as a witcher. The fact that he has to investigate these cases, find out what happens, and it makes it into a bit of a mystery. And as someone who is kind of a soft spot for mystery stories, I I quite like finding out about more about the world, more about the monster, more about this case. One of my favourite side quests in the game is in Novigrad, and is the side quest where you're essentially tracking down a misogynist serial killer after he poured acid down the throat of Dandelion's sort of girlfriend. There's also... I I will get to this in a bit, but first I want to ask, did we not do much combat in Novigrad? Because I remember my time in Novigrad being a lot of murdering religious fanatics with a sword, something I was very down with. Here's the thing, Sam. My, My overriding memory of Novigrad is talking to people. I just talk to people. There are very, very sparse occasions. I think I fought one woman in a pretend fight. Uh, I fought about eight people in an illegal arena. And I fought about 12 people inside of a, like, religious fanatics uh, keep. And I think that's everything I killed in Novigrad. Okay, but I I don't think The Witcher 3 is entirely a combat game. I, I remember there being... No, 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 no. About eight to ten hours of it, it's a telltale game. You go around to people, you talk to them, you select the yellow option, you can select other options if you want more detail. I don't want more detail, I just want to get on with it. And then eventually, Novigrad ends. And I was just astounded that I was so, I was so bored. I was so bored for eight to ten hours. And this is the thing, I don't want, I don't want everyone to come away thinking that, oh, he didn't give The Witcher 3 a chance. I played this game for 30 hours. Eight to ten hours of it is Novigrad. A good chunk of it isn't. And that bit's pretty good. Okay, I, I, I understand that you decided for some reason to go on a pacifist run through Novigrad. I think the Telltale game comparison is unfair. I think Witcher 3 is more interesting than the majority of Telltale games. I think you have more agency than Telltale games. No, no, no. Telltale games are better at this. 
they're better at being a game where you talk to people because what you do in the telltale games is often make decisions and like come to moral ideas of what you want to do with the world and you know this person will remember that and this person will you know the consequences of these actions play down later they don't though they well no they create the illusion that they do I I have played and enjoyed many Telltale games. I love Tales from the Borderland. I love, obviously, the Walking Dead Series 1. I even really liked the Monkey Island games that they did. I like Telltale games. I'm not trying to critique The Witcher 3 by saying it was secretly a Telltale game and I hate those. I like those games. I don't like when The Witcher 3 does it because I don't find its world that interesting. I don't find the Novigrad chapter that interesting. Okay. The best parts of this game are not the talking... And two-thirds of the game are the talking. Oh, no, you said you played it for eight to ten hours. I played it for 30, and I've estimated Novigrad at eight to ten. You said you played this game for 30 hours, so eight to ten hours of Novigrad, some of which is combat, is one-third of the game at most. Just to critique your map. No, 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 because that talking does take place in the rest of the game. It's just that Novigrad was only that. And then the other part, it is more evenly spaced out between combat and talking. And that's when it works. That's when the game works for me. I, I, I'm glad that you enjoyed the combat. I'm supposed to be all for this game, so I think I think I should. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put one <laughs> on my end of the scoreboard for combat there. But I know I, I think there is there is more to this game, and I know I would personally find a game that was just combat encounter to combat encounter to combat encounter to combat encounter, like. I don't know, say my, my very brief experience of Demon's Souls before I got very, very bored. Boring, essentially. And I like that The Witcher 3 breaks that up with interactions with what I personally find interesting characters. I like learning more about this world. And I like that it's not just a constant slog of violence. I I do enjoy that uh, chapter in it where you have to write a play with a bard in order to convince a doppelganger that you're safe uh absolute rock bottom lowest point of the game for me hated it um <laughs> just bored out of, just just no the, actually the worst part was when you have to run around Novigrad finding all the people who might know where dandelion is because he might know where siri is and then the conclusion of that quest being nobody knows anything <laughs> dandelion had interacted with siri though so that was something right let's get to this then so here's here's my upfront. okay gameplay of the witcher 3 when it's being an yeah. action fantasy rpg 8 out of 10 mm. actually quite like it i like i like a lot of the systems in place the the leveling ups not as important as perhaps it looks like it should be uh you largely don't need to be particularly good at anything just as long as you're within the right level and you've remembered to repair your sword you will survive most combat encounters. It, it's barely an RPG, frankly. Yeah, it is more of an action yeah. game. And that, again, I was worried. I was worried mm. The Witch was going to be quite a hardcore RPG, which, again, I would uh, turns me off enormously from playing it. But it wasn't. It was fine. Yeah. I like the I like the Witcher stuff. I like the stuff about what it what a Witcher is in this world, and I like the stuff about this idea of they're sort of these monster hunters... Uh, that are sort of like people don't particularly like them, but they're sort of tolerated, and it's like that's an interesting dynamic for a for a game for a character. Um, why don't you tell me what the story of The Witcher Three is? Okay, going back to the start, refreshing my memory. I did I did replay some of Witcher Three today to remind myself what the gameplay is like. Yeah, yeah, sure. But just broad uh, broad strokes. What is the plot of The Witcher Three? Okay, broad strokes of the plot of The Witcher Three. Okay. Geralt 
comes out of his two-game amnesia to try and find his common-law wife, Yennefer of Vengerberg. Uh, he manages to find her, and she says that their adopted daughter, who he thought he'd left safely in a parallel universe, has returned. <laughs> I did not know about the parallel universe bit. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you want to know something else? What's that? Uh, Lewis, that parallel universe is the universe of King Arthur and his knights. Okay, that I I don't know what I missed that that didn't come up, but that's it, that's it's hilarious. It's not brought up in the game, but at the end of the book, Siri is safely walking off into the sunset with Sir Galahad. Okay, that's absolutely insane. Okay, uh, <laughs> it is. So yeah, yeah. so Siri's back. Yep. What happens then? Uh, Geralt is tasked by her father, yep. the Emperor of Nilfgaard, Emir Var Emrys to find his daughter because he needs an heir. Geralt isn't particularly keen on... um... You're fluffing. You're fluffing detail here. You're fluffing detail here. The plot is, he needs to find Ciri. Yes. That's it. That is the... No, that's the first half of the game. No, no, no. No, no, no. I'm 30 hours in. I've only just found her. That's the plot of this game. That is the plot of this game for 30 hours. It is the plot of this game for 30 hours, but once you've found Siri, more stuff becomes important. Some of which is set up in the earlier game, earlier in the game, which is why I was, quote, fluffing on detail. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, Sam. I've been playing this game for 30 hours. Okay. The plot of this game has been, I need to find Siri. Yes. That's been, that's been it. That's been the whole plot for 30 hours. It's just... Uh, What about when you've been playing as Siri? What's the plot been then? Uh, she's been fighting things and trying to hide from the wild hunt. Like there's a, there's the whole there's the whole thing with the wild hunt. Look, the point I'm trying to the point I'm trying to make so is you don't you don't think the wild hunt has something to do with the plot? Then you don't think they might be important? Being the subtitle, of course the plot. Oh yeah, I met them once when I was level six, and then they vanished for twenty hours. You encounter them again as Siri. Not really. The Siri sections, the Siri sections do some things to like fill in and cause a bit of intrigue here and there. But the, but this is the thing. I went from uh, four different locations in the game, and my own my character motivation was I need to find Siri. And every single plot before thread, the wild hunt before does. the wild hunt does, and every single thread that Geralt pulls throughout this game is: Do you know where Siri is? No. Do you know where Siri is? No. Do you know where Siri is? Ah, oh, you just missed her. No. Okay, but as you, as as you are being the Siri mystery Deliveroo driver, you do get clues from all these individual people and in the Siri flashback sections about what the actual plot of the game is, about why the Wild Hunt wants her, about um, who that mysterious elf fellow, Avalak, she is hanging out with is, yep. and it sort of all builds together. Yes, you are finding out about what is going on with Siri as you are looking for Siri. But once you find Siri, the game just doesn't go, Fate of Black, you did it, here's your daughter back. The game continues, and you have to help Siri defeat the Wild Hunt and also other things. There is more to this game than finding Siri. I could have beaten multiple other video games in the time I've given this video game and had more happen. This is my complaint with The Witcher 3. My biggest, my actual biggest complaint with The Witcher 3 is that it is too big. It is too long. The plot is not interesting enough to sustain the amount of time I have given this game. And that's, I think, too big is the problem with The Witcher 3. 
because I constantly find that this game is expanding beyond its capacity. It's got this huge open world mm. that it can't really show you. It's constantly drawing things in very quickly. Things are bugging as I get nearer to them and then adjusting as I arrive. Animals, like, wander into cutscenes and get glitched in them. Like, the, I, my biggest fear when I played this game was that I don't... Like I said, I don't like high fantasy. I don't like... Particularly, I don't like dark fantasy in some respects. I find this as a sort of try-hard element of look at us, aren't we mature? Um, but I also... Uh, I don't I like I don't like big open world games that are buggy like Skyrim which this game isn't really like but also the first thing that happened when I turned this game on was a raven threw through someone's head there was a scene with gratuitous nudity and then I walked through a table to <laughs> to be fair the raven flying through someone's head is not a bug that is deliberate in order to kill the man the raven is flying through that's true, that's true. I should have made that clear. The raven flying through the head was the grimdark concept that I wasn't keen on. The gratuitous nudity was the cringeworthy element of saying, look how mature a game we are, and walking through a table was my fear that this game was going to be a buggy mess. Okay, I, I have not found the invisible table. Sorry, no. The invisible but non-corporeal table you're talking about. It is a specific, <laughs> it's a specific asset in the game that I have found in multiple locations and every single time it is a ghost. <laughs> if it pays off in a side quest that this table is actually a, like a, a, a spectre, that's actually very good. But I don't think it is. I think I have a suggestion for some more DLC if the developers are listening. Yes, yeah. Fight. I think they're very busy with something else. Uh, yeah, some, something else we agreed not to discuss. Um, yes, yeah. Yeah. But no, Ghost Table DLC, all for it. I did not find the Ghost Table. I think... Okay, but did Roach ride up on something you shouldn't? Uh, I had one bug in my that I noticed in my entire experience of Witcher 3, and that was riding Roach down the hill too fast, and he decided he would rather run on just his front legs, which I found very enterprising. I mean, that's quite entertaining. But here's the thing. I don't I don't want to make it sound like, oh, it's bugged and it's broken and you can't play it. You, you can play it. I'm playing it on PlayStation 5, which means it's running in its PS4 Pro enhanced version, um, which, as far as I can tell, basically means the frame rate isn't quite as terrible as it could be. Look, they ported this game to the Switch. That's as terrible as it could be. That's as terrible, that's probably, that's almost certainly the worst version of it. But look, this is the thing, there's just constant, constant little things with this game that are broken. In cutscenes, people's objects that they're holding or wearing twitch like crazy. Uh, there are fights in this game that don't work. There was a time when I fought a golem and it just didn't hit me throughout the entire thing. It just stood there while I hit it with a sword and then it died. Um... There were sequences where, like I said, an animal walked into the middle of a cutscene and I found it quite funny because the animal clearly wasn't supposed to be there so it just sort of glitched wildly and then vanished. I have seen your tweet. Yeah, yeah, I shared that one. Um, like, and, and this is the thing. None of, these, none of these are enough to make the game a problem. None of them break the game. All they do is annoy me. <laughs> and I just, every time I see them, I'm like, ah, oh, for goodness sake. Oh, no. I... Oh, no. <sighs> And they happen in crucial moments in the game. I found I found Siri. I found her. And she lay there as her dagger went wild on her side. Now, I, of course, glitches are something that's kind of unique to your experience. I did not experience uh, these No, glitches. you're all lying. You've all seen these. I've watched footage of this game. This happens a lot. I'm sure it does. Maybe I just got very lucky. Admittedly... 
when I was playing White Orchard today again, I was on the lookout for glitches because we we have briefly discussed this game outside of the podcast and glitches are the main thing that have come up between us. And yeah, so yeah. I, I, I went looking for glitches and I couldn't find any. And it, it is subjective, but I... I think maybe you had a particularly unlucky run, and I think the glitches are going to be almost an aspect of any large enough open world game. It's very interesting you say that, Sam. Yeah. It's very interesting that you're telling me that the reason this game is buggy is because it's a big open world game. Mm. Do you know what other two games came out in 2015 that were big open world games? Oh, you mean um, that one that was basically unplayable on PC because of its bugs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll agree. On PC it was broken, but not on console. Batman Arkham Knight is one of the best looking video games ever made. It's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. Also, Metal Gear Solid Five to this day, still one of the best video games I've ever seen on any platform. Absolutely stunning. One of the best looking games ever made. Both of these games come out in the same year. None of them have these problems. Nowhere near to the same extent. They also both look significantly better than The Witcher 3. Which isn't an ugly game. Which I'm not trying to say is like, oh, the reason I didn't like The Witcher 3 is because it was hideously ugly. It wasn't. It looks fine. I think it's a very pretty game. I think it's Lighting Engine is doing a great job. (laughs) It's not a pretty game. It looks fine. Um... There are moments in this game. I remember one moment in particular where the camera like looked, it, it like cut away to focus on a rabbit like cleaning its face as like a moment to be like, oh nature and like this atmospheric moment. And I looked at this rabbit and I was like, you're made of eight polygons. Why on earth have they made the decision to cut to you? It's, it... and this is the thing. I'm 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 going really hard on it right now. Going like it bugs out and it doesn't look as good as everyone says it does but none of this really matters none of this really matters in the grand scheme of things because when you're into this game Mm. you don't you don't care that roach is like mounted a fence you don't really care that these little bugs are happening because you just you're just enjoying the part of the game that's fun which is usually for me the combat or there's some there's some like character that you're interested in or some choice you have to make i am not here to judge roach's relationship with any fence post. And I had to correct myself there because Roche is a different character in the game from Roche. Roche. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, the the game the game has a lot of fun with lots of uh non traditional names that have made it nearly impossible for me to remember what anyone's called. Um now, here's the thing. Could be non traditional, could be Polish, I'm not actually sure. I had a go. I had a go at the plot earlier. I said that I thought the plot wasn't compelling enough for the length of time I've been playing it. I wanted more. I wanted more suggestion. Stuff does happen that isn't just you running up to people and saying, "Where's Siri?" Plots do unfold as part of it. It's a very episodic game. I kind of got this feeling of like a TV show while I was watching it. Definitely, the sort of the first act, which is the hunt for Siri, is much more episodic. Yeah, and you're building up to a little Siri post-credit scene at the end of each episode. Yes, it's kind of got a bit of Doctor Who-ish almost mm. element of like world building at times. It's sort of like, you know, there's a big there's a big overriding thing going on, but most of the time you're focused on the individual elements of the story. The first of these really is uh, a character known as the Bloody Baron, who sort of acts as your main quest giver, your sort of central point in the game uh, for when you're in Velen. Yes. This section has me completely torn. Because on the one hand, I quite enjoyed the character of the Bloody Baron. I quite enjoyed the overarching story that unfolds with him. But I really, really want to talk about 
a section in this game, the miscarriage storyline in The Witcher 3. Yes. Because I, I think this... I think this might be one of the most insensitive and badly handled plots I've ever seen in a video game. And I know, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who go, oh, you're being too soft, you're being too over the top here, you know. It's a, it's a grim, dark fantasy video game. I think any defence of this storyline falls apart when I tell you that the name of the creature that is an aborted fetus that has been cursed and essentially come back to life is called a botchling. I think any semblance of me taking this storyline seriously and as a sensitive insight into what it's like to have a miscarriage evaporates. Because it's called a botchling. Because it's called a botchling. And because when you see the botchling, it is not a sensitive representation. See, I I don't know if we can um, necessarily blame Witcher 3 for calling itself a botchling. Because why not? Why can't we blame the authors of this game for calling their fantasy creature a botchling? I think maybe we have to blame the translator. Is this something from the books? Uh, no, but it is something from Slavic mythology. Okay. I have just googled this. This is a thing. This is These are creatures of Slavic mythology. Right. In which case, why did they choose to include a creature called a botchling? I, I agree... The name is silly, but so is the model. Not silly, not so silly. Is the... It is not silly. silly. <laughs> no, it's very insensitive and silly. <laughs> this is the thing. I don't. I. I don't think anything about the botchling storyline was silly. Okay. I think they take the creature very seriously. I think they take the idea of the creature very seriously. And within, I think. I think there's a good idea there. Mm. I think this idea of a monster that represents, like, the buried trauma of a miscarriage is an interesting idea, but I don't think this was the game to do it in. I don't think they portrayed the botchling very well. I think they make... As you say, it's you've, you've described it as silly. The context in which the botchling exists is not silly. Oh, no, no. I, I, just to clarify, I didn't describe the story as silly. I think the story... No. I think the story is serious and is taken seriously by the game... I think the name is silly and the name is potentially a mistake. I might have called it... If I was the translator on Witcher 3 and I was handed this, because I have, have, to be honest, I have just looked this up and um, the creature in Slavic folklore that the botchling is, is called a Poroniak. And that is what it is called in the Polish version of Witcher 3. But yeah. the English translator chose Botchling. So that's how so I feel very justified now in saying Botchling is not the name of this creature in mythology. No. They chose that name. Yes. Bad choice. It was it, it was a bad choice. I might have also given the model another pass. Yes. Here's the thing. I think if they had treated this creature I think I think the potential for this storyline is interesting mm. because I think there's an overriding sense in this storyline of like um, buried regrets and grief and buried ideas of, of abuse. Mm. And it's the closest I think the game came to me 
to having a really tangibly interesting emotional idea. Uh, I don't think, like I said, I don't think they handle it well. And I think given the tone of the rest of the game, it doesn't really match. It doesn't, it doesn't line up with what the rest of The Witcher feels like it plays like. Because actually, I think possibly, even though I thought this was the most insensitive storyline in it, it is also the most interesting storyline in it. I don't know if I would go as far as most interesting. I do think the Bloody Baron is one of the most is one of the more interesting quest lines in it. I don't think that it is I don't think that it is discordant with the tone of the rest of the game. I mean, take the Novigrad chapter, for example, the one that plays like a telltale game. What you are walking into in Novigrad is a pogrom. Um, yes, yes, but but that's on the same level of something like X Men, like that's that's pulpy. That's not unusual. That's not something that's unusual to this type of genre of fiction. What is unusual is doing a storyline about a miscarriage. I can't think of much of any fiction in the same category that tries to cover a miscarriage and then turning that into a sense of like almost a horror story. Because that's the thing. I think. There are elements of this game that are fantasy and there are elements of this game that are horror. And the botchling definitely falls into the category of horror for me. It seems to be more about this idea of repression, guilt, uh, you know, um, uh, burying a past that you can't accept. Whereas the stuff that's going on in Novigrad is like social commentary, political, uh, essentially, like you say, a a pogrom. Yeah. Um, those, Those aren't in the same genre. I mean, I I don't know if I would consider a pogrom as a a less serious thing, and I do think that Witcher 3 takes it seriously, and when you revisit Novigrad later, which is beyond the point you've got up to, the pogrom has escalated even more than Mm. it has uh, when you go to Novigrad in Act 1. And I do actually think that... uh, the Witcher franchise more so than Witcher 3 specifically does have a lot of interesting and poignant and quite accurate things to say about racism and tackles that subject with a lot more nuance and a lot more seriousness than other stuff within within fantasy usually does as a genre. And I, I, I did not find the Bloody Baron discordant and I saw it more as a story of, of domestic violence as much as a story mm. about a miscarriage. And this got very sad very quickly. But Yeah, um, no, this is the thing. I, I do feel bad about this because it is a bit of a bummer to talk about. Fun, fun podcast. Fun, fun video game podcast. <laughs> this is why I opened with the gameplay because I kind of wanted, wanted to soften this by starting off by saying, look, I don't mind how this game plays. What I really mind about this game, Mm. and the thing that I think is my overriding problem, and I'm not even going to say it's indefensible, I'm not even going to say, you know, oh, this ruined it and you shouldn't like this game if you liked it. I just found that actually the writing in this game is inconsistent, it's occasionally great, and it's occasionally embarrassing, and it's occasionally offensive. And it's really wild how all over the place it can be in terms of individual storylines are simultaneously... Like, I think the the Bloody Baron was probably the storyline I was most interested in throughout this game. 
and all of the bits of it I found interesting basically didn't involve anything supernatural. <laughs> As you said, it's a story about domestic violence, and it was an interesting story to view from the perspective of, you know, a character in grief and a character in denial. And then and then also there were crones. But, and... but, but this, this, is, this is the thing about, about Witcher 3, and I think about great genre fiction anyway, is that at the end of the day, there are these supernatural, if it's sci-fi, there are sort of mad science stuff in in the story but ultimately it comes down to being a story about people and i think that very much epitomizes the witcher 3 i mean yes it's a story about ghosts on horses riding through parallel dimensions in order to kidnap a girl but hmm. at the end of the day and i i understand why you got up to finding Siri and you played 30 hours of a game you weren't sure you were going to like for a podcast mm. where I'm sure you usually spent a lot less time than that. But yeah, I, yeah. Re- I really do think The Witcher 3 comes alive as a story. And I know this is a bad excuse. A game should, shouldn't should <laughs> get, shouldn't have its best bit after 30 hours. But I do think that best central relationship of The Witcher 3 and the core of The Witcher 3 story is it is a story about fatherhood and about... No, it's not. Yes, it no, is. It's not. Yes, it no, is. No, no, no. The last few hours of this game might be about fatherhood, but for 30 hours, it is not a game about fatherhood. Okay, I, I think that maybe it, it explores the theme better in its second half, in its latter 20-ish hours, maybe. But I also think that, you no, no, you spend those first 30 hours searching for your daughter... And that yeah, is yeah, Geralt. like she's a MacGuffin. That is Geralt. So much pressure. But you are meant. You're, ser- you're also searching for. Just to be clear, you're also searching for her because if you don't find her, she might cause the end of the world. But Geralt like, doesn't I care know, about I... that. Geralt cares he about does... finding Siri. And Geralt <laughs> he does says, care about Geralt that. says, Geralt says, my he one motivation is finding Siri. I don't know. He'd rather it didn't happen. But he would rather it didn't happen. His daughter lives there. <laughs> Although, to be fair, his daughter could just go to a different world. But he, d- <laughs> his central motivation is to find his daughter. And I, I don't know about you, but in those flashback uh, sections where you get to play as Siri, which is some of my favourite parts of the game, I really like how Siri plays. But Completely agree. Completely agree. I would play a whole game as her. And I wish I had. I, I have my fingers crossed that Siri is getting promoted to protagonist for the next Witcher game. The developers have said they are making another one. Geralt is not the protagonist. The obvious choice is Ciri. So, Mm. um, but I really, really liked Ciri as a character playing in those sections, and that helped my motivation to find Ciri. As someone who, like you, had not played Witcher 1, had not played Witcher 2, which actually is irrelevant, but had not read the books before playing Witcher 3, I did grow to really like Ciri as a character, and that informed my motiv- my personal motivation as a player to find her, and get more of her on screen, because she is great. And I think as a player, and as a character, the main motivation is to find Ciri, my fictional daughter slash preferred player character i look i don't i don't i obviously i don't know how this game ends or culminates but my experience of the game the idea that the overriding theme is fatherhood 
does not come across to me in that 30 hour period and i feel like you're saying like there is a great story waiting for me at the end of this video game if i go back and finish it which you totally should which which i might well do because i seem to be at least at least over halfway you are but i think the overriding sense i had of this game was that most of the time it was treading water and distracting me from the main plot because the main plot was going to happen later and I feel like if you're telling me this is a game about fatherhood, I'm saying there might well be a 20-hour game in here about fatherhood, but this is a 55-hour game in which a huge chunk of it is mostly about running around and finding small yellow circles on a map. I I, I agree. You are... No, no. You are finding small circles on a map. But I guess... I guess sorry, I just want to touch about the idea of fatherhood. And this is, this is something I really want to bring up, which is unfortunately beyond what you've played and i want to talk about the moral choice system in this game which isn't really okay. a moral choice system and you haven't got to it yet um okay because like most most rpgs do have that sort of that mass effect paragon renegade um yes system yeah. where you can be the good person you can be the bad person and your ending depends on whether you filled the blue meter or whether you filled the red meter and hmm. um Witcher 3 doesn't really do that. There are multiple endings, but the choi- the choices you make that determine the ending you get is whether you're the good father to Siri. Because the right. the cho- the choices in the game are you not know, you do you do the moral thing or you do the the renegade thing. It's do you encourage Siri to make her own decisions or do you helicopter parent her? And if you encourage Siri to be her own person, you get the good ending. Whereas if you helicopter parent her, you helicopter parent her to death. Wow. Well, I mean, look, I, I've i found... So this is obviously a game which, which makes a big deal about its choices. The loading screen tells you, you will make choices that will have long-term implications and pay off later. I saw it with the Bloody Baron. I think I got what is possibly one of the better endings with the Bloody Baron, at least from the perspective of caring about that character as opposed to caring about children. What ending did... Oh, oh, you didn't put the ghost in the horse. I don't even know what that means. Again, I, don't, I think we're possibly we're going we're gonna to go into deep plotline stuff, and I don't want to do that. Largely because, hey, if you're listening to this and you've never played The Witcher 3 and you think you might be interested, uh, go get it. I would, I would recommend this game to the type of person who thinks they might like it. I'm not I'm not here to ruin anyone's fun and to say The Witcher 3 isn't a good video game. It is largely a good video game. There's a lot in here to like. And if you like fantasy, if you like fantasy storylines, if you like that kind of thing, you're going to get a big kick out of it. It's not like other fantasy stuff that I've seen and I even found it quite interesting in a lot of places. It's not my sort of thing necessarily. But despite that, I still had a good time, which is a sign of a very good game. I think a, a very good game is something that even if you don't think you're going to like it, you still end up liking it. That's a sign there's something really good there. To be honest, that was also my experience with it, because I, yeah. I am I am not actually a huge fantasy person or a huge open world RPG person. I found Skyrim very boring, but yeah. I... I do not like that sort of standard Tolkien-esque fantasy of Kingdoms of Alamur. You're really ragging on Kingdoms of Alamur. <laughs> yeah, I'm defecating on Kingdoms of Alamur. But um, if there was another bad Tolkien-esque game out there, you know, the generic of the genericest, uh, please let me know. But no, Kingdoms of Alamur is going to be my go-to from now on. 
I I find that very boring. I've had it very uninspired, very cliche. And I think the advantage of Witcher, the Witcher series being based on a series of books is, and a series of books from a culture whose literature we don't necessarily consume a lot of in the English-speaking world, it really gave it that sort of unique flavour and also comes from the mind of, thanks to the Iron Curtain, an author whose sensibilities were able to develop sort of away from that Tolkienist milieu. And I mm. I love I love the sort of the kind of the Slavic and Polish overtones of this game. I I love the music in it. I love that they worked with um local Polish folk bands to to work on the music. I love how the buildings and the architectural design and the landscape has that kind of Eastern European Slavic flavour to it and it really makes it stand out as something different so if you are sick of elves and dwarves and going over lord of the rings for the thousandth bloody time in kingdoms of alama then witcher 3 is something different it it's unique is what i'm trying to get across here and it's 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 fairly unique i mean quite a lot of this inspiration are uh fairy tales yeah like fairy tales pop up in this quite a lot like uh we've referenced the the crones in the bloody baron storyline that's the the hansel and gretel witches essentially mm. it's it's very much evil shrek yeah there's references to things like snow white and uh cinderella you know uh, uh, yes cinderella is explicitly mentioned as a real character in their world isn't it yeah i remember that now um so yeah so there's some elements that are in here that are a, a bit unusual but there's also quite a lot in here that I, I mean, look, I, I'll be honest. One of the reasons that I really loved fighting the Shrieker was I just was glad a cockatrice had turned up. I love cockatrices. I think they're a really cool thing in like uh, mythology, and so that I'm actually seeing one and fighting one. I'm like, I've never done this in a game. I quite like it. Uh, I think actually, for me, for my money, the best storyline and my favourite quest in this entire game uh, was a, a quest that's called uh, Tower Full of Mice. I love Tower Full of Mice, and you are going to be so sad uh, after this when I tell you what happened. <laughs> so here's the thing. I absolutely loved this storyline in the game, primarily because this was the uh, storyline that made me go, you've done something I've not seen in a mythological storytelling uh, video game before. I've never, I've never heard this story and I loved the mechanic of using a magic lamp to talk to ghosts to sort of see and recreate it in a sort of different version of the detective idea. There's a theme that's occurring in this podcast where I play games about deducing things through detective work. Oh yeah, and <laughs> I, I, I also said earlier I enjoyed the detective aspects of which thing. Uh, but would it interest you to know that um, Tower Full of Mice is based off a Polish fairy tale? Well, that's cool. I don't mind. I, I'd never heard of it and I liked it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good little... I don't want to ruin it for anyone who plays it, because it's a really good little horror story. It's a shame they cut the second half. Well, I don't know what the second half is. But I think, what again, one of the things I quite liked about this was they, they ask you to make a decision um, based on the things that had happened. And I had clocked something in the story. But mm. there's something that I do when I play a certain type of video game. It's something that I did when I played Heavy Rain. And it's something that I did when I played um, Mass Effect. Which is that I don't necessarily role play as the person that I'm playing as. I role play as a director trying to figure out what the most satisfying story beats are going to be. 
So even though I had clocked something in this storyline that was amiss, I went, I think it's a better storyline if this happens. And I was correct. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing that uh, for you, that quest ended on land rather than in the tower then. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, look, I'm just, we're now just at the stage where I'm just telling you about individual stories, like in The Witcher Three. But but I but I think that is act- uh, no no we won't we won't deep dive into more stories. But I do think that is an important point that there are sort of like there are so few games where there are side quests where you can enjoy to that degree and want to deep dive in and discuss and give you the sort of I I find that a problem with a lot of open world games, a lot of lesser open world games, the the more modern Assassin's Creed do creeds do this constantly skyrim is terrible for this is that side quests are smashed together poorly designed boring quite frankly whereas richer 3 has really put effort into making all those small stories matter and important and just be interesting in their own and you can go off and deep dive into these little episodic things and that's that's something i think is actually great about the game Yes, I actually think, I think I, in some ways, made a mistake playing so much of the main storyline. Because I think the best elements of this game rely on those little self-contained stories paying off and having a cool idea at the centre that then come around. Like, there's a good story about a werewolf in a village that I really like the payoff to. And and I began to realise the more I played it, if you just hard mainline the quests in this game there's so little payoff for so much of your game time. You're just constantly being sent on the next errand, the next errand, the next errand. You you very rarely learn anything new and you very rarely get another cool idea that goes somewhere. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, playing it for 30 hours, trying to get the main quest done as quickly as I could, trying to get as far as I possibly could, absolutely exacerbated all of the flaws in this game. I think without those side quests, it doesn't work as well. I think it is a game that would give that would work better maybe if you allowed yourself to kind of marinate it in it in a way to kind of fully more explore the individual side quests and the Witcher contracts. And I am I am someone who when I play games I tend to mainline main story and so to make sure i don't miss out on content i usually ration myself i can have one main quest if i do two or three side quests as well Mm. and i think that was a much more rewarding way of experiencing it and instead of like i said earlier in other games where side quests are just some of the worst content in a game i think Mm. there's a lot of the highlights of witcher 3 and its side content and as much as i do love the main story as much as i want to find my daughter and be a good father and not helicopter parent her into an icy grave i (laughs) i i do think that there's a lot of love and a lot of a lot you can discuss in the side quests of this game i found the side quests to be entertaining and fun and have cool and interesting ideas i'm gonna i'm gonna put my chips on the table and basically say i don't think there's anything in the witcher 3 that i found more than just a bit interesting i don't think there's a core idea at the center of this game the way that there are at the center of other games i've played that i that resonated with me i at no point in this game did i ever get emotional for example there's no point in this game where i was like to coin a tedious phrase oh it made me cry and nothing in this game made me cry nothing in this game at, at most this game elicited a reaction of oh that's cool and that was about it for me 
I didn't find myself I didn't find myself compelled by the central mystery of the game, which is where is Siri, which isn't much of a mystery. <laughs> I didn't find myself particularly compelled. I think the most compelled I got was with the bloody Baron character. I just wanted to call him an abuser to his face. Um, <laughs> I never took the opportunity. I never took the thing where he's like, have sympathy for me. And I was like, no, <laughs> no, you're in the wrong. Yeah, yeah, he's a terrible person and you should tell him that. He should know. Yeah, yeah. But there was nothing. There was nothing in this game that, uh, like, I'm gonna do the unfair thing, Sam. I'm gonna do the really unfair thing. Mm. I like the story of Batman: Arkham Knight more. I like it more. I think it's a more interesting story. That that cuts and deep think... because the story of Arkham Knight is really bad. But do you know what the story of Arkham Knight is? It's really compelling. There's a lot of mystery in Arkham Knight. There's a lot of things you want to find out and solve. And there's a lot of twists. And even for me, there are a lot of moments in that game that are big story set pieces that do things in a game I've never seen any other game do when it comes to storytelling and excelling at using your expectations of a video game to completely change the way that the story is being told. The Witcher 3 largely was a script that someone had animated a game to. And there wasn't much in that script that grabbed me. If this was a book, I definitely wouldn't have got through it. I definitely would have put it down and gone, this book is mostly about a man trying to find an actor's sleeping circle. An actor's sleeping circle? Yeah, Dandelion and the people he slept with or hasn't slept with. (laughs) That, to be fair, quite a few of the short stories. Um... (sighs) And that's a main quest that you cannot skip. Hello, this is Lewis jumping into the middle of the edit of this podcast uh, to explain to you why the podcast is going to have a sudden, bizarre jump. During the discussion of The Witch 3, we get on to the politics of the game, and we started this discussion by addressing a character who may or may not be trans. The game is unclear about this. Upon listening back to it, Sam and I both agreed that we do not think we necessarily handled the issue particularly well, and we would rather cut it from the podcast than cause any potential offence. Uh, we both also think that we uh, lack a certain knowledge, and indeed the game's ambiguity doesn't help in this discussion, and so uh, we didn't want to uh, put this into the podcast without comment. As a result, uh, we're now going to be going on to discuss the sexism present in The Witcher 3, uh, which I feel there is more explicit evidence of. That's certainly how I found it. And the game is littered with lots of sexism. And there's a discussion there to be had about it's obviously portraying a world that is sexist, um, but it doesn't necessarily comment on it. It just has lots and lots of sexist NPCs. And I don't really know what the point of doing that is other than to say, look at us, look at us, look at how dark our fantasy world is. It's full of sexists. Can, can, you, can you think of an example? Can you, do you have an example? Yes. Riding through a town, you'll hear an NPC saying, should I beat my wench once a day or every other day? Uh, there's an extended sequence in which children talk about how the soldiers are dazzled by women's tits. Uh, there is uh, the constant uh, degradation of women as objects uh, by NPCs throughout the game and it's all constantly throwaway dialogue that is said by people as you pass them obviously and that's the thing I don't I don't necessarily know how to discuss this in the sense of yes the world of the Witcher 3 is sexist. Yes, it is representative of a fictional medieval-style society full of ignorant, nasty, horrible people. But I don't know 
why it appeared so much without much point. I see your point, but I also think that there are a number of powerful female characters within the narrative itself who are given a lot of agency uh, over both their lives and their sexuality. I think Triss, Yennefer, Kira, Ciri, although you have not spent a huge amount of time with her yet, are all powerful, respected Mm. characters with a lot of agency and that comes from the book that that comes yes from the that's books. very true I, mean, yeah. I i think that compared to a lot of fantasy witcher as a as a series as a property whatever you want to call it is on the less sexist end of the scale compared to a lot of what i've seen i heartily okay. disagree <laughs> this game because of those characters yeah. you listed uh, Triss, Yennefer, Siri, and uh, what was her name? Was it Karen? Kira. Kira. I can see three of those characters naked in this game. Yes, yes, you can. I can't see Ciri's because she's our adopted daughter, and we don't get to see the daughter naked because that would be weird and nasty. But we do get to see a lot of people around her naked during a sauna sequence. Yes, yes, we do have the sauna sequence. But they are strongly written characters. They are still treated very sexistly. The game is the game is so horny. The game is horny to the a game fault. is very horny, but is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't know if sex positivity and sexism are the same thing. And those no, you're right. Those they're are, not. Those are, those are characters who are all in charge of their own sexuality. But they largely exist in relation to Geralt. The reason that these characters are in the story is because they are there mostly as either exes, current partners, potential side fling, or daughter to Geralt. And those are the strong characters that we've listed. Because there are other female characters in this game, and they are crones, wenches, and I think on one occasion we meet an actor, and she's quite nice. Yeah, she is. Yeah, there's the actor. There's also... um. The, uh, oh, I can't remember her name. The one who becomes Queen of Skellig, if you choose her to be Queen of Skellig. Gallagher. Uh, yes, she's one of the lads. She's one of the lads. She hangs out with a bunch of men and they all drink. I'm I'm fairly certain that the game probably does pass the Bechdel test. I'm actually not sure if it... I can't think of an incident in the 30 hours I've played it where it has passed the Bechdel test. To be fair... It certainly doesn't pass it with flying colours. No, 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 it doesn't. <laughs> And one of its issues there, maybe it's difficult to pass the Bechdel test if your player character is a man, so it's difficult to have a scene without him in it. Hello, this is Lewis jumping back in with the awkward podcast corrections. Uh, This one, actually, in favour of The Witcher 3, it does pass the Bechdel test. I noticed as I kept playing it, uh, as I got later into the game, uh, there are named female characters that talk to each other about things that are other than a man. So that is a point in The Witcher 3's favour. I just wanted to make that clear before you could tell me. Sure, but I'm saying that in contrast to I don't think The Witcher 3 is that sexist. I think The Witcher 3 is sexist. I think it has a lot in its bones. It has a lot of sexist stuff going on. And having two or three well-written female characters isn't enough to overcome the fact that this game is just kind of embarrassing about sex and the way it treats women. 
Like, there's a lot of times in this game when I was cringing or rolling my eyes about the way characters talk about each other. And, like, I only... I encountered one... I had one romance scene in this game. Um... Uh, for those who who are keeping tabs on, you know who's who's having who in it. Uh, I had the romance scene with Yennefer. You chose correctly. Uh, I went for Yennefer because there was an implied long term relationship. Um, not that I didn't get, not that I didn't get offered alternative romances, um, but I don't think the sex scene added anything. It certainly didn't change the plot. It certainly didn't change the way the the world interacted with me. And it, and it was in the middle of something else. It wasn't like it was like, you know, a natural progression of where things were going. The the sex scene basically appears providing you just pick one dialogue option. And it's and it's the horny one. It 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 is it is the horny one, but I I think it's natural for the horny dialogue option to be the one that initiates the horniness. Uh, yeah, but not in the middle of a quest. And it does happen in the middle of a quest. Yeah, they finished the quest. It's done with a sense of urgency. Because they're in a very high place. And they want, they want to get down. <laughs> this is the thing. There's romance scenes in Mass Effect. Mm. And Mass Effect gets quite a lot of criticism for its romance scenes. Because like this, they're a bit out of nowhere. And uh, you just sort of they just sort of happen. They don't really change anything. But you can romance people. And I think, again, with The Witcher 3, it kind of feels like they put it in so they could say that they put it in. I know it was a feature of previous games, and there's kind of an element of, well, we've got to have the sex bullet point on the box, because that's what we do in our games. We're a proper, mature, grown-up game for adults. We're going to see some titties. Like, it's just... It, it, it feels... It feels like the game wants me to be a horny teenage boy to play it. And I think that's the ideal demographic for The Witcher 3. It's a horny teenage boy. And if you're a horny teenage boy, crack on. You'll have a lovely time. No, no, because, because a horny teenage boy would romance both Chris and Yennefer, and uh, the game punishes you for that. The game really punishes you for doing It punishes that. you in the sense that two characters will then probably not get on, but you're not going to have, like, your health reduced. Okay, but I, I, I don't think that a get, an element should only be in a game because it's going to affect your health or... I d- I think it is somehow more exploitative if the reason to have sex in a game is if you have a better sword. I think that sex positivity in fiction and to have characters that own their sexuality is no bad thing. And yes, it maybe does not have a place in gameplay. It's not going to affect your health bar, as you say. But if video games are going to be telling mature stories about mature adults mature adults who presumably have sex lives to include a reasonably sex positive romance story in it and to have that in a I didn't find the cutscenes overly titillating if that's the right word I you do I, get you do get full female nudity and partial male nudity I mean as as someone who has seen the sex scenes in Witcher 3 I, I, I didn't get off to them and, no and, but I'm not, I'm not I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting they're pornographic they're not pornographic yeah they are like you know I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna go so far as to say is they're tastefully done but but what they are is largely irrelevant in a game that's full to the brim with stuff that is largely irrelevant I I think it's it's bloat it's just this constant feeling. The constant feeling I have with The Witcher 3 is we've got to make this game as 
big as possible. And they've really succeeded. This is one of the biggest games I've ever played that's on this type of scale and this type of ambition. But I don't know what the bigness does for it other than make it longer. There's probably stuff that can be cut. But there's probably stuff that can be cut from every Novigrad. As someone who likes Most Novigrad, of Novigrad. As someone who likes <laughs> no, Novigrad. But, no, but some of the main quests... Do you remember the main quests in Novigrad? Like the stuff that isn't side quest. Um, because the main quest in Novigrad is running around and talking to people. And a lot of it is talking to people going, do you know where Dandelion is? And within what interaction they go, no. So you could cut them. You could, but aren't they a good way to introduce Dandelion as a character? Don't you learn stuff about him through that? Dandelion was in the game for all of two minutes before I left. I, I... He's not massively relevant. The whole of Novigrad could come down to, you go and see your dwarf friend. He says, Dandelion's been arrested. You spring Dandelion, you move on. That could be the whole sequence. That's all it does in terms of plot. You could you could have streamlined it. And I also think that if maybe... I don't think Witcher 3 is the wrong size. I think Witcher 3 maybe uses its resources suboptimally. Like, the second half of the game, once you find Siri, I think is slightly rushed in comparison. And I think if maybe you cut some of the start and fleshed out some of the end, that would have been no bad thing. So that's the thing. That's the, that is my overriding criticism of The Witcher 3. There's a lot of politics and stuff we've discussed that I find problematic, but, I, I you know, I don't I don't want to tell you, you know, you, you, you're wrong for liking a video game. You're not. It's fine. There's interesting discussions to be had about it. And I think CD Projekt Red are aware of this, or certainly the internet has made them aware of this. Um, as they've gone on to produce other games, they've been more... Uh, they've had that more specifically, like, um, addressed by their community. Their community's come a bit harder at them for that kind of stuff. Uh, I do think, though, the the problem with The Witcher 3 is, is it's too big and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be this big. It shouldn't be this... It it, sh- it shouldn't be this long. It shouldn't be uh, full of filler main quest stuff. It shouldn't have so much of the store. It shouldn't abandon so many of its mechanics for such a long period of time. Because if they cut this game down, it would be good. And I think it gets away with it because a lot of video games, people want their video games to be long. People want that game that's like hundreds of hours long, full of replayability. Because, you know, games cost a lot of money. And if you're going to buy a video game new you want to get your money's worth out of a game. But I think we need to stop talking about video games like they are a value, a minute per pound product. We need to start viewing video games as, in the same way that you can say a film is too long, in the same way you can say a book is too long, this is a video game that is too long. It needs an edit. I I want to touch very briefly before we move on uh, on the, the politics aspect of it. No Witcher 3 okay. is not perfect, and some of the incidental dialogue you have brought up from characters you ride past is definitely not okay. But mm. I do think that compared to a lot of high fantasy, compared to a lot of video games it, in are general, we give no, it no, a no, pass no. because there's other sexist things. No, I'm not. I'm not going to give it give it a pass. I'm saying that it is not perfect. Yeah. I'm admitting it is not perfect, but I do think that it has some positive representation. There are gay and queer characters in it who are 
if not accepted by the society, at least accepted by Geralt. The the um the hunter Mislav in mm. White Orchard, for example, is I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, he he brings it up in dialogue. I was about to say if you mention it, but I don't know about how you could avoid it. But no, Mislav is gay, and for and for a game that came out of a country that is currently trying to as near as it can exterminate its LGBT population. That's very true. I think that is reasonably positive. And again, although its portrayal of women and sexism is not ideal, it's not trying to portray an ideal society anyway, Mm. to have a game and a story who's... And by the end, I know you're only finding Siri, but by the end is about female agency. Because the the plot of the wild hunt it's it's alluded to in the game it's much more explicit in the books but the the plot of the wild hunt is to force Siri to have a baby so that they have a baby yet with Siri's powers they can control and it's right. about Siri exerting her bodily autonomy and about exert like her right to live her own life rather than just be a mother and again coming from a country that has just made abortion illegal full stop i think yeah. that's a very progressive political message to come out i of. think yes i think i think when you put it into the context of who the developer is there's definitely a lot of uh i don't know this this is thing again of to what extent do we give art a pass because of who made it you know, CD Projekt Red is a Polish developer that, as you say, their country is considerably more right-wing than certainly the country we live in, although, <laughs> haha. Um, Look, we're walking the same road, but they've got a lot further down it. And and by the standards of their own culture, they've expressed a more progressive view in certain areas than a lot of their countrymen would. I am not saying it's perfect, I'm saying I'm giving it a B, maybe a B plus. Yes, and I think I think to some extent CD Projekt Red will also be conscious of the fact that their games have a global audience. Certainly CD Projekt Red won't have seen most of its income come from Poland. It will have seen it come from the United States. It will have seen it come from Europe as a whole. Oh, oh yeah, but there's a difference between, say, you make a game where an issue like abortion doesn't come up at all, like a lot of Western developers will, or you choose to make a game where the main point is female bodily autonomy. Let's be clear, though. The reason abortion doesn't come up in most video games is because most video games are largely about just shoot things. Um... And I think Witcher 3 should uh, get some points for not being about shooting things. But on the point of length, I agree with you in the broad strokes. I think most video games that come out right now, are weirdly either too long or too short. I, I I miss that sort of 15 to 20 hour sweet spot. I... Yeah. Uh, the, the, the six hour game, I think, is... Hmm, don't know, this, this felt rushed. And the thousand hour game is definitely too much. I think... I think it, I think it depends on the expectation of the product. Like a big fantasy RPG, I agree. A 25-hour fantasy RPG makes complete sense. The game I played last week, Return of the Obra Dinn, was seven hours, and I think it was perfect. It was the perfect length for that game. Not because I want, like, I'm like, oh, I have exactly seven hours of time to give this game, but because that's exactly as long as its concept held my attention. 
And I think any extension on that concept would have become boring and anything shorter than it, it would have felt like a missed opportunity. The Witcher 3 sailed past the point at which I thought its concept was worth pursuing. Okay, I I think maybe there's a bit... Maybe it comes down to a difference in how we played it because I know you were sort of, again, rushing through it, putting 30 hours into a video game over a relatively short span because we need to do it for this podcast. I should say to the listeners, I did take two weeks to play this game. I didn't give it the normal one week that I normally do. If I'd played this game for 30 hours in one week, I would have died. (laughs) That sounds like a perfect week to me. But um, when I played this, I felt that this was about the right length. I I agree with you in the broad strokes. I finished Red Dead Redemption 2 recently, and I thought that was, again, about eight hours too long. Yes, I agree. Red Dead Redemption 2 is way too long. I I did not feel like I was bored by the concept of Witcher 3. I wasn't bored by its story. I wasn't bored by its characters. I wasn't bored by its world, which I think is attested to by the fact that I bought Witcher 2 after finishing Witcher 3 because I wanted to spend more time with these characters and this world. And Witcher 2 is a much worse video game. Oh yes, I remember overhearing my brother getting very frustrated at the Witcher 2. Uh, Witcher 2 is, imagine Dark Souls, but made by a team who haven't mastered collision detection. (laughs) Well look, okay, we've talked a lot, we've gone deep on this game we've gone into the politics we've gone into the story elements i hopefully we haven't spoiled too much of it certainly if you're listening to this and you're like oh no they ruined a huge amount i don't think so i think there's lots about this story uh still left for you to discover and hey if you're interested play it but here's the thing sam it's it's a really deep world there's so much we haven't touched on please play it you'll have a great time he's a cretin ignore him but whoa no here's my here's my thing is this the best video game i've never played it's not it's it's just I'm really sorry it's not it's not a bad game I had a good time I had a lot more fun with it than I thought I would do and I'm you know I'm happy to concede I can see why this game was a big hit it's not quite the kind of thing in terms of like genre and in terms of uh storytelling ideas and ambitions it's not quite the thing that I really want to play to my mind the problems are pacing and theme and there's not a huge amount <laughs> that the developers could do about theme because they were making a licensed video game about The Witcher. So, you know, sometimes you get The Witcher, sometimes you get Batman, each have their own fans. I'm more of a Batman guy. What could I say? But thank you for bringing it on. Thank you for, for making me overcome the prejudice I had against it and for being pleasantly surprised. I had a fun time. I might even finish it. I think I'll be honest, should. next week's game... Next week's game isn't going to take up a huge amount of my time uh, because it's just not the sort of game that does that. I'm looking forward to discussing next week's game because it's almost the opposite of The Witcher 3 in a lot of ways. Are you playing Pong next no, week? No, but it's not It's it's not a game of the story. I'll put it that way. Um, so yeah, but once again, Sam, thank you for bringing on The Witcher 3. It's not the best video game I've ever played. I'm really sorry to say you're the first guest that's not happened for. But what can I say? I did warn you. So there we go. The Witcher 3. Not the best video game I've never played, but a better video game than I thought it was. So I feel like, in a lot of ways, I did come out of that experience richer for having played The Witcher 3. In fact, I came out of the experience so much the richer that I felt, given that there's only a few hours left, 
I should probably finish this video game. And as a result, I did. I went back to The Witcher 3 and I managed to finish the game. I clocked the ending at 39 hours. So I did pretty good compared to the average according to how long to beat. And as a result, I felt like I couldn't just let it end there, right? Sam and I discussed it. There was already a few instances where Sam went, oh, if you finished the game, you'd know. If you finished the game, we could discuss this. So I thought, all right, we will. As a result, in the spirit of The Witcher 3, later this week there will be a free update that includes a discussion of the ending and full plot and detail spoilers. It also has a more overall conclusion to it. I will say, I don't come to a different conclusion about whether or not it's the best video game I've never played. But if you love The Witcher 3 and you want to hear more analysis on this, there will be, as I say, a bonus episode coming out later this week for you to be able to listen to. That said, a huge thanks to my guest, Sam Went. Uh, if you want to check out some of the things Sam's been doing, he is, of course, the host of the Infinite Deer podcast, which is a Dungeons & Dragons podcast that you can listen to almost like a sitcom or as a, an adventure show. It's quite good fun in that respect. Sam also, however, is a writer and has been writing for At Duologues, which is a podcast that will be coming out soon, uh, which is obviously going to be a series of duologues. It's going to be people talking to one another. He is an excellent writer. He did some work uh, just now over the winter for a show called Four Minute Warning, which was very well received and I watched myself and thought was excellent fun. Uh, And I highly recommend following At Duologues on Twitter so that you can stay abreast of everything Sam's working on. But now, dear listener, it's time for me to ask you a favour. Please, can you subscribe to this podcast? Can you like it on YouTube? Can you leave it a review on iTunes or wherever you're getting this podcast from? Uh, We're now into the fourth episode of this show and hopefully I've got some people who are enjoying what I'm making and enjoying what we're doing here. And uh, the only way that this podcast is going to get any bigger or any better is if you start sharing it about. So I would really appreciate it if you could follow at Dunace on Twitter. That's at D-U-N-N-A-C-E. Uh, and every time I post a new episode of the show, you know, maybe share it about a bit. Tell people about it, you know. I, mean, I know I'm sounding like I'm begging and I'm desperate here, but I've just spent 39 hours playing a video game that I, I you know, probably wouldn't have unless I had this podcast. So I really want to make sure uh, that I'm not wasting my life in a time when all of us are hoping that time will just disappear. So uh, please share, like, subscribe to the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, and I really hope that you're enjoying this adventure with me. Uh, next time on the show... I've got a guest who's brought on a video game that, uh, frankly, is one of the biggest hits, even bigger than The Witcher 3 in some respects, and yet, once again, I had never played it. To find out what it is, you'll have to tune in. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. Stay safe. That's fine, isn't it? I can wish you to stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, everyone.